Thank you for coming. So preschoolers can go to preschool, and we have volunteers that watch them, and they have a room just in the nursery wing where they have uh, special time for them and wanted to have a time with our kids this morning. Ooh, I'm glad. We got more girls this week. Last week, it was a bunch of boys up here. Mm. Well, we are glad you were here this morning. Hey, I'm going to be talking about some things in my sermon this morning, and I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit of that about that, but all of y'all know that Papa D is really old. I'm 55 years of age, and so when I was your age, things were different. I mean, uh, most of that... Yeah, there was electricity and running water, yes, but um, things were really different. When I was in first grade, and this is a different day, I walked to school, and it was about a mile from my house, and there was no thought that we didn't know about strangers or anything in those days. Uh, walked to school. I can remember when I was a kid, I know this is going to sound like a sad story, we didn't have air conditioning in our school. We raised the windows and we had fans. When I got older, we had air conditioning. I know you're thinking, wow, you're really old. Um, get this. When I was your age, I played outside. In fact, my mother told me to go outside. We lived at a house that there was a park back behind us. And... Um, when it was time for me to come in, my mother had a bell. Ding, 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 ding. And let me tell you, when Sandra Smith rang the bell, you better come a-running. She didn't want to come looking for you. And I might be at a neighbor's house. I was somewhere. I was playing outside in the park or somewhere else. Now, inside our house, we had one television. Now, I know if you were up here giving the story, you could say, okay, I remember when we didn't have television. I don't remember... Uh, I was born in 1962, so television had already been invented. I do remember as a kid, television was only in black and white. And there were, in Wichita Falls, there were only three TV stations, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And cartoons only came on television. I know y'all are going, this is unbelievable. Cartoons only came on on Saturday mornings. And so we would get up early and we would watch cartoons. It was only on Saturday mornings, the only time they showed cartoons. And we didn't have a VCR. We didn't have any way of recording it. You just watch whatever television show was on the television set that night or that day. I know this is really strange. We had one telephone in our house. And it was in the hallway. And everybody shared that telephone. I know y'all go, wow. This was a long time ago. Uh, I, we didn't have a microwave. I can remember as a teenager getting a microwave. So we had no VCRs. We didn't have anything like that. Um, and so the other thing is my mom stayed at home. She didn't work outside the home. So the great thing as a kid is she always had cookies for us when we came home from school. That was what she did. Um, we had... You're not even going to know this. But if you go to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., you can see some of this history. We had a record player in the living room. Uh, it's the only way we could listen to music. And in, the, in our cars, there was only a radio. So if you were in the car, you listened to the radio. And we had a station wagon. But 
Google that when you get home and you'll see what a station wagon looks like. And I, 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 I didn't get this to Brother Steve this morning, but um, I played baseball growing up. And I've seen some of you boys playing baseball recently. And this is, this is me. I'm about eight years of age, and I played for the McGehee Giants. I do want you to know in 1969, and I still have the trophy to prove it, we won the city championship. 1969, Wichita Falls, thank you. We won the ship of Wichita Falls. Uh, I got to thinking, because I've watched some of you boys play, first grade, some of y'all are going, okay, I was there. First grade, there was not T-ball, no. There was not machine pitch, no. There was not coach pitch, first grade. There was a kid on the mound. It was kid pitch, first grade. I mean, it was kind of a, it was, I'm telling you, it was a different day. Uh, it was not scary. Um, well, maybe it was a little bit scary, but anyhow, it was a little erratic, and probably that's the reason Brother Darrell never learned to hit, because <laughs> you didn't know where the pitch was going to be. But anyhow, um, I got to thinking in my lifetime, and this is what I wanted to share with you this morning, in my lifetime there's been a lot of changes. And there's even people here that are older than me, believe it or not, that can remember even some more changes. Uh, but this is the verse of Scripture that I want to share with you today. And it's from Hebrews 13, verse 8, and it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want you to know whatever changes come in your life and in your lifetime, Jesus is still the same. He's there. One time when Jesus preached, he came to the end of his sermon, and he said, the one who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. He said, and the winds blew, and the rain fell, and the floods came up, but that man's house stood because it was built on the rock. And I want you to know that regardless of whatever changes in your life and in your lifetime, Jesus Christ is a rock who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the one we build our lives on and we trust in in the midst of a lot of changes in our life, okay? Y'all been super this morning. And at this time, I am returning you to your parents. Thank you. We will see you next Sunday, same place. Thank you, Gabe, for coming, really. A lot of special children in the world. <laughs> God in his infinite wisdom and power has composed the body of Christ, the church, and our church, so that every member of our church and of every church is significant and has a role to play. We as the church are like the components of a wife. We're working together to accomplish our purpose. Just as the gears and the components and parts in a watch they all move together, move in unison, to achieve one thing. In that same way, each generation in our church works together, side by side, 
in unison to achieve unity of purpose and of life. Each generation in our church has specific roles and gifts and talents in which they are responsible and get the privilege to serve and to give and to pour out within the body of Christ. Generation to generation. Generation to generation. Uh, the psalmist David said in Psalm 145, verse 4, he said, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I don't know all that David had in mind when he wrote those words, but what he was teaching us is that every generation has a responsibility to teach the next generation and to pass down the faith. We have a responsibility. I think also David in his mind realized that each generation has to experience God for themselves. But it is the responsibility of each generation who, and he says that in, in verse 4 when he talks about uh, that they, we shall praise your works to another and should declare your mighty acts. I have a responsibility for my generation to declare to the next generation what it is that God has done in my life. And in that way I pass it down to the next generation. But the reality is, is that generation, the next generation, cannot live in what God has done in my life or in my generation's life. They have to experience God for themselves. And probably it's going to look a little different than the way my generation and your generation experienced God. Each generation has a responsibility to pass the faith down to the next generation. And each generation must experience God for themselves. In the 1960s, sociologists uh, coined a phrase. The phrase was the generation gap. The generation gap. Uh, it is that gap from one generation to another and most of us have kind of been raised in this and we don't really think about it but that was a phrase and a concept that came up really in the 1960s as there became this distinct difference between the generation of young people in those days and their parents generation now there was a reason in American history when it was just in the 1960s that we kind of Really, this came to prominence. Um, we have to understand what has happened in our world in the last 100 years. And there is no more visible way that I can show you than to show you the population, the world's population, a graph of that from the time of Jesus until today. Well, actually, it goes back beyond that. Um, and I'm not condoning all these dates, Brother Shane. But anyhow, okay, this, it was a graph I found on the Internet, and I 
clicked it and saved it and sent it to Brother Steve. Um, so you notice that throughout history, the population of the world has slowly increased. I mean, look, thousands of years ago, uh, quite honestly, until the last hundred years, and if we could slice it up. But do you see what has happened in the last hundred years? It is not that there has been growth in world population. There has been an explosion of, of growth. Uh, it is not that the, the world's population is growing steadily. It is growing exponentially. I don't, I meant to, to Google this, but I think the statistic is that something like one out of 15 people who have ever lived, live right now. It's something like 7% of all people who have ever lived, live right now. And I think there's something like 7 billion people living right now, which means there's only been like 100 billion people that have ever lived throughout human history, 7% of them live right now. But this graph only describes a little bit of what's happened in the last hundred years. Because it's not just that the population in the world has exploded. Um, and I, I did this in a sermon several years ago. Uh, and I showed these graphs. Travel, the rate of travel has exploded. Think about all of these years of what were people doing. They were walking. Then eventually we domesticated horses, donkeys, and we began to ride. And then we strapped uh, somewhere, actually uh, in the not too far distant past, we, we, we attached a, a, a carriage, a cart, to a horse, and we traveled that way, horse and buggy. And that was for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Oh, and I think probably even more than 100 years ago, probably the bicycle was invented. And wow, that was, a, that was a huge advance. But then led in the last 100 years to the automobile. Put this in perspective. Thousands of years of human history, but only in the last 100 years. So what did you do? All of a sudden you went from the horse and buggy to maybe something that went 30 and 40 miles an hour. But think about some people in this room, what's happened in your lifetime we went to the automobile. Then we went to the airplane. I'm supposed to know how fast airplanes fly. Uh, I don't know. Uh, um, well, I see this on the little, the little TV screen when we fly internationally. It's something like 600 miles an hour. And I always get this, I had this thought of, when we're running behind, why don't they just speed it up? You know, you're, you're going to be delayed. You were late getting... Why don't we, instead of going 600 miles an hour, why don't we go 700 miles an hour and we get there quick? Anyhow. But then there's jets, and now there are rockets, and I don't even know how fast rockets. But you could take this same graph, and you could plot, and it's going to parallel the rate of travel. What about communication? How did communication happen? Well, it was word of mouth, and then people traveled. And then maybe, oh, I don't know, 150 years ago, the telegraph was invented. Wow. 
and then the telephone. And now you get to today, I can text my wife from Africa and get a response immediately. The rate of, that's just crazy. If I had told that story to my grandparents, they wouldn't have believed it. But it's not just the population, it's not just travel, communication, but also those who study it say that knowledge is doubling at a rate that is exponential. And I don't know. Brother Shane, he, he can give you some resources and he can tell you this. And, you know, it, it took 4,000 years for the first time for information knowledge to double in our world. And then it was 2,000 years. And then it got down to 100 years. And I, Brother Shane, I don't know. Every two to three years probably. May, I don't know. Maybe it's every year. The knowledge and information in the world is doubling now. It's this same graph. The reason I, I say this is the reason the generation gap was became so evident in the 1960s, for the first time our world was changing at such a rate, there was a stark difference between the young people's generation and their parents' generation. And it's, it's really my generation that are called the baby boomers. And my parents' generation that were born before World War II, it, it's kind of the dividing point. And the world changed so much with travel and information and everything that there was this gap that had not really existed. There's always a difference between generations because of your stage in life. And so when I'm a young person, I have a certain perspective of life. As I get older and have kids and such, then I have a different perspective. And then when I get older, I, there's always that difference. But the generation gap was this, you know, kind of coined in the 1960s because there was such a stark difference in the way that these generations lived and perceived life. In our day, 2017, the sociologists would tell us that there are six living generations right now. Distinct generations. Um, now, I'm not going to call anybody out today. But <laughs> I don't think we have anybody represented in the gen first generation, which is the GI or what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. They were born before 1927. And I'm just kind of looking around. I don't think, I may be, I'm sorry, I may be wrong. I don't know that anybody here was born. Uh, and you don't have to jump up. Uh, but really, you ought to wear it as a badge of honor and say, well, I'm a 1919, let me tell you, and it was a good year. Uh, is, is there anybody, am I, uh, I was thinking about Mrs. Faye Cummings. I think you have to be in your 90s. Yeah, so I know Faye Cummings, uh, she's not here. Anyhow, uh, this generation from 1901 to 1926 
was marked by two uh, events in American history, and they were of age when these events happened, which is going to be a difference between them and the next generation. That was the Great Depression and World War II. Um, they, it's not just that they were alive or had been born by that time. They experienced, um, as at least children who knew what was going on, young people or young families, they experienced these events. They were the generation that built our nation. That's why Tom Brokaw would call them the greatest generation. Not only did they build our nation, but this was the generation that went to war, the war to end all wars. It is a generation with a strong work ethic. They are doers. They have a strong sense of civic duty, of patriotism, loyalty, strong morals. They are team players and they are in it for the common good. This, that generation is my grandparents' generation. They're not living, uh, but it was their generation. And it is a generation that is passing away. The next generation, which is actually sometimes included in the GI greatest generation, but some sociologists would basically pull them out and say they are a little more distinct, is called the silent generation. And it is 1927 to 1945. And this is actually my parents' generation, born in 31 and 35. Um, they were born during the Great Depression or World War II. They were born into hard times. And so what I always say to people is I was raised by people who were raised during the Depression. And it marked me. It marked me. <laughs> Yes, and I have Walmart sacks stored up in the bottom of the pantry for some reason until I get to the stage where I go, why am I saving all these Walmart sacks? It's because what my grandmother did and my mother did, and so we just, we don't throw things away. They are savers, self-sacrificing. They were a disciplined, they are a disciplined generation. They were also in it, in it for the common good. There was a strong sense of duty. They were rule followers. And actually what they were is they were conformers to the GI greatest generation. They conformed to that generation. They were raised with a radio in their home. And they got their news from a newspaper that was delivered to the house every day. If you are a part of this generation, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Look around today. Wow. The next generation is the baby boomers. So in American history, what happened when we had survived the Great Depression, we had won World War II, uh, the GI and the silent generation built our nation and there was a boom of babies. It is, until recently, was the largest generation, the baby boomers, born from 1946 to 1964. I came in right at the end at 1962. 
if you were born during this time, if you are a baby boomer and you fit in this slice, if you would just raise your hand this morning. Thank you. Pretty good crowd. My peeps. All right. I feel you. Now, there's actually some differences between the baby boomers. There are our older ones who are, were the hippies in the 1960s, and then there are the yuppies of the 1970s and 1980s. And so, you know, sometimes even as baby boomers, we go, oh, well, mm, yeah. Because I was, I was a little kid during the 1960s, so I didn't know what was going on. But I had older cousins, and I knew something was going on. I just didn't know what it was. <laughs> Those older cousins, they were hippies. And I knew that my parents' generation weren't real happy with them. Uh, the baby boomers were marked by the incredible prosperity of our nation that was built by the GI and the silent generation but we were the, their children who reaped the benefits of that prosperity for the first really the first time in any significant numbers women began to work outside the home we are called the me generation because along with the prosperity, we became materialistic, self-centered, and contending for things like civil rights. We are spenders. Not all of us, because some of us were raised by people who were raised during the Depression. <laughs> and we save Walmart sacks. But by and large, the baby boomers are spenders, the first generation who utilized credit in the way that we really see it now. Oh, our morals, mm, they are looser. Divorce became more prevalent. Yes, during our days, there were TVs in our homes. And you know where we got our news? 5.30 and 10 o'clock, the national news at 5.30. My parents' generation got a newspaper. Do you know my mother, who is in a memory care unit to this day, sits and reads the newspaper every morning in the facility she's in? My generation was raised watching the news at 5.30. Tom Brokaw or actually Walter Cronkite, I'm sorry. Um, oh, the music changed to rock and roll. And there were protests over Vietnam drugs came to be more prevalent in our society during our days. Oh, but the next generation were the busters. The boomers were um, the largest generation to that point. Uh, the next generation were the busters. Uh, I guess because my generation was so uh, self-centered we didn't have as many children as our parents had had they're also called generation X Jason Whittemore thank you for if you're if you're with Jason Whittemore and you're a you're a buster uh, you're in that age group if you'll just raise your hand thank you for being here bless your hearts we love you there's a place for you uh, they were the first generation though that didn't do as well economically as their parents had done. Hmm, sorry about that. I think, I, I don't know. They were the latchkey kids. Mom was working out of the home. They came home with a key around their neck. 
and they stayed at home by themselves in the afternoons. They're more individualistic. They feel misunderstood. They embrace more diversity, tolerance. Uh, they tend to be anti-institutional. Uh, there's less commitment in the busters, and they will probably make far more career changes than their parents or their grandparents. In fact, their parents and their grandparents went to work for a company or a corporation, and they stayed there until they got the gold watch at the end. Not the Busters. They were the generation of AIDS, the dismantling of the Soviet Union, MTV, and during their lifetime, the Internet came into existence. They had to learn their computer skills, but they did. The next generation are the Millennials, oh, 1981 to the year 2000. If you are a Millennial this morning, would you stand? If you're a Millennial, we want you to stand. Yes. I want you to know you're special, and we have a participation trophy for you at the end of the service today. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that I couldn't resist <laughs> this was the they're also known as generation Y we love you and that's why we use the letter Y Any, no 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 they were the first generation raised with technology I didn't say this the busters you know where they get their news? They get their news off the internet. Do you know where the millennials get their news? <laughs> Social media. <laughs> Some of it's not even true. <laughs> but they were the first generation raised with technology. There is a certain sense of entitlement and they are a generation that tends to have strong views, opinions. They see the great need for community. There's been a, sw a swing. And actually, they're not anti-institutional. They're more communal. They may be almost like their parents or grandparents, really their grandparents, believe in the common good. They are team players. They respect authority. They are not as career-minded as the other generations. It seems like community is maybe sometimes more important than career. They are the generation that has been marked by 9-11, the war on terrorism, and the recession of 2008. Uh, I, uh, okay, so this is 80, 81 to 2000. These, these years, different people use different years. I thought of one of the things. Life is changing so fast. 
And so they're, they're, they're obviously, they're the generation with smartphones, you know. Um, sorry. They don't have pens in their pockets, though. When, I know, when Hillary, so there's even a difference between my oldest and my youngest five and a half years, which is not a whole lot of difference. I'm not suggesting this for parents, but anyhow. The rule when Hillary, when would Hillary get her first cell phone? 16 years old. Man. And we had to hold the line. <laughs> and I guarantee you Hannah Smith was like the last kid in her class to get her phone at 16. And if I were to say today you have to wait till you're 16 to get a phone, it's like, did somebody drop you on your head? Are you from Mars or what, Dad? Come on. Because kids are raised with smartphones. Well, there's one more generation that's alive today, and this is what I know about it. Generation Z. I don't know. Sociologists, we don't really know. I mean, they're going to be raised with smartphones. I mean, I've seen the Stover kids. Good grief when they're a year and a half old. When the Stover kids come over to my house, they want to know where the iPad is. Oh, we're going to go out in the backyard and cut something down or hit something. I'm not playing on no iPad at Papa D's house. Come on now. If you're here, if you're here, born 2001 or later, just raise your hand. Yes. A lot of our youth. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We don't know. We don't know what you're going to do, who you're going to be exactly. Sociologists don't. It's a diff different generation. Um, I lay that out because it is, it is foundational for what I want to talk about for us as a church. We as a church are multi-generational. We've seen it by the show of hands. But we also must be intergenerational. There has to be a connection between generations. And so as a family, we all come together. And uh, I kind of want to make a point in the last 10 minutes for us as a church. But I, I had to, you need to know the history and what our world looks like from the last 100 years to be able to put all this in perspective. Um, I want to show the chart of our, this is a chart, and I know this is small, and so I'll draw some conclusions, you probably can't see it in detail, but this is a chart about uh, life group attendance according to age. You start with kind of five-year increments on the left, and you go up, and you go to youth, and 20s, and then you start going 10-year segments. The blue bar is the number of unique individuals who have come to life groups, and you see certain trends, or what I would call waves. Uh, you also see the red bars, which are the average weekly attendance of those, and if you watch it, there is also a wave. And then the, 
I don't know, gold or yellow bar, is the rate of attendance. How frequently are they here? And it's kind of steady and then drops and then picks up and then drops again. And then we know if we can get somebody here in their 70s, they're going to, by golly, they're going to be here. Is one of the things that we know. But I want you to notice, and I, I don't have a lot of time, and I've, I've met with the deacons on this and some others on this uh, to talk about this, but there is a wave there. And what we see is that um, there, is, there is growth in numbers from children to youth. But when, we, when they get out of high school and they're in their late teens and early 20s, there is a drastic drop. And then it begins to climb through their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. Really good numbers. And then there's a little bit of a dip through the 50s and early 60s, and then it comes back up. And, of course, Byron looked at this and he said, we really got to work on our 90-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, the one thing in the graph is like, we got to reach more 90-year-olds. We're working on a plan for that. <laughs> but you know what it is? It's a, it's, a, it's a life cycle or generational wave. And this is what happens. And really it starts as parents begin to have children. And I've had this very conversation with some of you sitting in this room today. I will not name names. I've had this conversation with you. Gary Litton. I'm sorry. Sorry, I wasn't going to say that. No, no but I, I guarantee you, I've had this conversation with Gary and others. No, when he started having kids, he went, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> i got to get my act together. i got to get the kids in church. And so one of the things we see, the reason it goes from small children up to youth and the numbers grow is because parents are going, no, my kids need to be in church. we got to be instilling spiritual values in their life. And so mom and dad increase their, their participation through their 40s. But what happens hmm, when our kids hit their early 20s and they, in large numbers, get out of church, mom and dad aren't as consistent. But after that lull, then we kind of pick up and we become grandparents and we, we kind of pick up. And so I want you to see there is a life cycle wave here. Here is the point for Huntington First Baptist Church. We are responsible. Here it is. We are responsible for drawing in the next generation. Day by day, year by year. And if we ever don't draw in the next generation, we as a church have written our death sentence. It's just a matter of time. It's been said many times that Christianity is one generation from becoming extinct. If we don't pass it down to the next generation, let me just share my heart as your pastor, and I've had this conversation with church leadership. When I asked Byron to do this statistical work, I had a sheet. He wasn't real happy with it. It wasn't on Excel, and it didn't have graphs with it. And he said, Dad, Dad, Dad. Step back, let me get you some research and present it to you in a way that somebody can understand. But you know, one of the things 
that came out from that research. Huntington First Baptist Church, over the last four, five, six, seven years, has gotten older. And obviously, all of us get older. We have a birthday every year. But the only reason statistically we get older is when we are not doing as good a job pulling in the next generation. Hmm. Part of the reason I'm preaching these sermons, it is a wake-up call and a challenge for us as a church that we have a responsibility to pass the faith to the next generation. We have to. Or we as a church will die. The life cycle that is depicted on this graph is very typical for most churches. But it tells us that we are, we are responsible for building a bridge that spans the generation gap. I've spent a lot of time this morning talking about the different generations so that we will understand the day in which we live. But the challenge is that we must intentionally engage the generations that are coming behind us. And it will always take work because they are of a different generation and a mindset and they've been raised in different circumstances. It will always take work. But the reality is, is we cannot simply reach our own generation, the people that we connect with and we know and are like us. We must get out of our own generation. And the, the positive news is, as we get older, we have more generations to influence that are coming behind us. And we have to seize that opportunity um, hmm. one other kind of statistic that seals the deal is that psychologists will tell us that a child's world view becomes set I don't know the exact numbers but somewhere between 4 and 10 years of age a child's world view becomes set like drying concrete between four and ten. Can God intervene? Yes. Some of them are. My own Sunday school teacher, Doyle Thornton, saved it 30. But it took a sledgehammer to break up the concrete. Doyle says to us all the time, and Doyle, you've seen this, and uh, you're the silent, are you in the silent generation? What year were you born in, Doyle? 40. Uh, Dole Thornton, he will say this. He has seen the greatest prosperity the world has ever known in his lifetime from where he came from and what he has experienced like no other generation. Uh, but in respect of being saved at 30, he is the exception to the rule because what psychologists tell us is that a child's worldview will become set between the ages of four and ten 
what that says to us as Christians is we have a window of opportunity with children and their parents who will come back to church at least initially because the kids need to be in church and that's alright we'll take it we'll take it but then we my generation has to influence my kids generation so they can be the primary influencer on my grandkids who I really am concerned about. That's the way it goes. We have a window of opportunity to form their lives. I've kind of painted a picture, laid a foundation this week. And I know it's a lot of information. Uh, you'll have to process it. And I've set forth this is where we are and this is the challenge and we're going to get more specific as we go from here next Sunday uh, as we talk generation to generation how do we pass down our faith and how do we as a church make sure that we draw in those other generations to come into the church I end with this and it's really the challenge that I had in my children's sermon. And I know y'all were listening to that one. In Psalm 145, after verse 4, you come to verse 13. And David says, Psalm 145, 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations God will always be God it doesn't matter how much America changes what technology does which I can't even imagine in the next few years Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever and how I've experienced God may be different than the way my kids generation my grandkids generation is going to experience God but I have a responsibility pass down my faith to the next generation and we need to take it seriously amen amen why don't you stand with me this morning um, brother Shane's going to come and lead us I want to lead us in prayer uh, Byron and I are going to be at the front um, I know there are decisions to be made today um, and so we are here for you. The altar is open if you want to come and pray. Uh, it's really you deal with what we've talked about today and passing down our faith to the next generation. Uh, you may have a commitment to the church body, and we're here for you. You may need today to cross the line of faith to say, I'm saying yes to what God has done in, the, in Jesus Christ to offer salvation to me. I'm saying yes. Father, today, we just pray that you would use this time. Father, we would be obedient to what it is that you ask us to do.